Hey, this is Tyler. The show is Money Mediator. Our emotions can have a big impact on our financial decisions. The goal of this podcast is to insert an objective view into the process, a mediator between you and your money. And today we're going to be applying this to a specific group of people in a specific process. We're going to be talking about how to prepare for residency applications during COVID-19 for medical students in their fourth year. We're going to talk about some of the emotions that can get in the way of these sort of decisions during such a critical time and what practical steps students can take to make responsible decisions in this environment. And I'm very grateful to have a a friend and and, uh, an acquaintance, uh, Marissa, with me. Uh, She's a a fourth-year medical student at a medical school uh, here in Michigan, in the state where I live. Thanks for coming on, Marissa. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about applying to residency and the financial aspect of that and applying to residency in COVID in a general sense, especially because I came into medicine and no one in my family was in medicine, so I didn't really have any ideas about this process until I got here. And so I'm hopeful that with our conversation today, we can help other people plan for their own future and get a little bit of insight into what's down the road when you get ready to apply to residency. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm excited too. And we're going to talk about four primary themes. Uh, The first is the cost of the applications themselves. Um, Getting your feedback, Marissa, on how you are evaluating programs, not only in terms of what you're interested in and the quality of the programs, but also the cost of living in the cities where the programs reside. And then third, we're going to talk about how residency programs could increase their transparency in order to make it easier for students to make their evaluations as far as who they're going to apply toward. Um, And then finally, I'd love to hear how you are personally preparing for the interviews, you know, because, you know, they're not, the interviews are going to be unlike interviews that have been done in the past. You know, you're going to be, you know, perhaps in your apartment or I'm looking forward to finding out some details on that. But uh, yeah, all these things I'm hopeful will help those who are in medical school as well as those who are pre-med, you know, that are, that are on the track, but are a few years behind where you are. So yeah, let's get right into it. Um, So, you know, Marissa, can you explain briefly the costs associated with the applications? Yeah, so when you become a fourth year medical student, actually the summer as you transition from third to fourth year, so when you start to really finalize your residency application, and for people who aren't aware of what that looks like, um, when you finish medical school in order to actually practice as a physician, you need to complete a residency and you're applying to your field of interest and it's different than applying to uh, jobs on the job market. You submit your applications through a centralized platform you do interviews that you get interview invites for. You make a rank list. Programs make what's called a rank list. And then a computer algorithm, referred to as the match, matches you up. And on match day, you open your envelope and you find out where you matched. And you're contractually obligated to go to the program that is on that paper. It's not like you can weigh different options. And additionally, this is really the main funnel through which uh, doctors find residencies. Um, Almost every student graduating medical school whether an MD program or a DO program will enter the same match as well as graduates of international medical schools will also enter the same match. So when you're looking at applying for residency, 
you have to use a system called ERAS, um, and it's a centralized online application. And you fill out all of your information on there. So you're going to have your personal statement, your letters of rec, your citations for any publications. All those things are uploaded into ERAS, and then ERAS charges you by program that you apply to. So it also depends on the number of specialties you're applying to. So for me, I'm applying to internal medicine, and I'm going to apply to just internal medicine. Now for programs one through 10, it's a flat fee of $99, whether I apply to one program or 10 programs. But for programs 11 through 20, it's $14 for each program. And for programs 21 through 30, it's $18 for each program. And above 31 programs, programs 31, 32, 33, it's $26 to submit each of those applications. So it becomes more expensive as you scale it up. And in addition to that, that counter starts over if you're applying to more specialties. So if you're applying to 30 programs and you're only applying to one specialty like internal medicine, that would be the first $99 and then $14 times 10 and $18 times 10, that would be 419. But if you're applying to 30 programs with two specialties where you're paying, you're applying to 20 for one specialty and 10 for another, it would be two flat fees of $99 and then 10 times 14. But on top of that, it's not just that application fee that you have to pay which depending on which field you apply to, that can be several thousands of dollars because the average number of programs applied to in some fields is 80 programs. So that gets expensive very, very quickly. Now, if you apply, you'll also need to send your transcripts from your step exams, and that is also an additional fee. Um, I believe that's $90 off the top of my head this year, somewhere in that ballpark, but it's uh, another fee that you need to pay. I'm sorry, it's $85 this year. Now, on top of that, when I actually get to the match, the ERAS is just the application. In order to actually participate in the match, I have to register with the National Resident Matching Program. That's another $85. And then I have to pay for each program that I rank. So after I interview, I rank the programs that I interview at. And I say, this is my first preference, my second preference, my third preference. I'll have to pay $30 for each program that I rank. So if I interview at 10, that's $300 and so on and so forth. So again, it gets more expensive the more you go on. And that is skipping the interview portion of this picture, which is generally in most application years, the most expensive part. This year we're in Zoom interviews because of COVID. No one is having in-person interviews. However, in normal years, when you get an interview invite, you are expected to cover the cost of your own flight, your own hotel stay, your own transportation to and from the interview, and obviously whatever food you participate in. Although typically an interview format is a dinner, informal dinner the night before with the residents, and then a full day of interviewing the next day. And they'll usually cover that dinner and lunch your interview but in essence you're covering all of that wow yes so it's quite it's quite the expense so it can really range i had a classmate that just graduated and she matched into a family medicine residency here in michigan and she knew she wanted to stay in michigan so she only applied to about 10 programs she knew she was competitive very small number but she was in a special program that she had um like an agreement with her home program that she would be ranked essentially and then because she only had to travel around the state of michigan she spent only um, a couple thousand dollars on applications and interviews now i have another classmate that is here and was trying to match either back home on the west coast or with family that had moved to the east coast and all those bi-coastal flights and hotel stays added up to um, tens of thousands of dollars so very very expensive and on top of all of that something that i wasn't aware of when i was approaching this process was that um 
how do you finance all of that? And you only get part of your loans up front. So my school gives us, every school varies a little bit, but my school gives us $2,000 up front, which is essentially enough to cover the cost of submitting your application. And then for the rest of the interview season, if it was not on Zoom, I would be expected to put flights, hotels, food, everything on my credit card. And then at the very end of application season, I would bring all those receipts and they would give me a loan as a form of reimbursement for all of that up into a certain cap. So I think our cap is something like $10,000. So beyond that, it's out of pocket. But it also, I don't know a lot of medical students that have a $10,000 limit on their credit card. So it definitely can become a, a really large financial crunch this year for students that are applying in non-COVID times. And like I said, we're fortunate that we don't have to deal with the interview cost uh, associated with traveling, although most of us are disappointed to be doing Zoom interviews, I think, just because we really would appreciate seeing programs and meeting people in person. But from a financial perspective, it's a, it's a massive easing of that financial burden for us this year yeah wait did you say that the school's form of reimbursement is a loan to you yes correct so when i bring my so if if this was not a COVID year and i did my 10 interviews and i kept all the receipts from plane flights and hotel stays and food that i ate and ubers that i called at the end of interview season so sometime in january i would take all of those receipts to the school and the school would issue me an additional loan to cover all of those costs that i had previously put on my credit card and that gets looped into your fed loans like yes aggregated with the rest of your school loans correct Mm -hmm. it's a grad plus loan i believe i see so yeah (laughs) it's it's funny it's funny that if they even use the word reimbursement that's uh i think that's what we call a balance transfer in the credit card world Um, yes yes (laughs) it's an interesting word yeah wow well that's uh that's a lot to track and you know for anyone who's not in school or who's not in medical school i know you mentioned like different costs like 85 dollars for this ten dollars per program you know for uh you know for the national registry like those might sound like small numbers but not only do they add up but we're talking about people who barely have enough money from their loans to buy food Am I right? Yes. Yeah, that's that's exactly the thing is that our loans only increase that that $2,000 this year in order to cover the cost of the applications. Um, so I, you know, generally I'm living on a pretty tight budget. My groceries are budgeted. My rent is budgeted. Most of my, a lot of my classmates have roommates and we live in an area where the cost of living is not expensive. Um, and the, the national federal guidelines set um, rules on how much they can give us for each thing. So I want to say that our national, like they can only give us so much money from a federal perspective, but uh, the loans that I have to live on a year are less than $20,000. And I'm expected to pay for things like a parking pass at school out of pocket. I have to pay for my required disability insurance out of pocket. I have to pay for my required health insurance out of pocket. So maybe it doesn't sound that bad when you say it's all like, you know, you get, you spent $5,000 on applications and you already had $2,000, but that's a lot out of pocket for us when it's been several years of living on a on a pretty shoestring budget without any cushion to it and med school assumes that you have a car that's paid off there's not extra money there's not budget for a car payment and i'm fortunate that that is the case for me that i came into med school with a car that was paid off but if my car was to break down i don't i I guess i'd be walking to school because there's just not any extra cushion in the budget so it's definitely something that you 
that I wish in hindsight I had started saving for ahead of time. Which, again, I don't really know how you do that on a shoestring budget, but any any bit would have helped until we got to this year. But it's definitely a big expense for us. Yeah. So if you were to, on this section, you know, talking about application fees and all the, you know, all that goes with it, what would you say to someone that's pre-med? I would say that when you get to medical school, that you should be considering early on the advantages to trying to give yourself cushion in your budget. So if you can save even $50 or $100 a month to help yourself down the road when you get to this point, it would be really helpful for you. In addition, I think if you're pre-med and you're non-traditional and you are um, working right now and you're not coming straight from undergrad, or even if you are coming straight from undergrad, I know that it's a very challenging economy and I wasn't able to save a ton of money either, but the few thousand dollars that I was able to save in my gap year before I started medical school has made a huge difference in the long run for me when instances like this come up that I am able to pull from the, that little bit of savings that I had um, so, that I, so that I don't suffer from as much of a cost crunch. Okay. That's yeah, great advice, I think. It's hard to see that far in advance because there's so many other things before the point that you're at. It is. And that's kind of, I think the hard thing is that in medical school, it gets really overwhelming. And obviously on day one of orientation, they're not going to tell you, start thinking about the cost of applying for residency right now, because there's way too much going on at that moment. And I'm not saying that you should be terrified your first year, just that in general, there's going to be several instances like this over medical school where you get close to something and you realize that that is something that is not covered by your loans, or that is something that you're expected to pay out of pocket, or that you just weren't planning to spend money on that. And now it's coming out of the existing loan amount that you have. And if you come into med school and you are living at the very, very top of your budget, then there's no extra room to have cushion for when these types of situations arise. And again, that really, if you're in San Francisco or Seattle, that might be a lot more challenging. And um, I know that there are private loans that can be obtained um, through private banks for applying for residency. It's just that you want to try and avoid those if you can't, if it's possible. If not, then, you know, we, we do what we have to do to match to residency. But those loans typically are not as favorable as federal loans, and it's just a whole nother ballgame. But in general, if you can set aside a little bit of money from each of your loans when you get them dispersed each semester, it'll help in the long run. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The private loans, they're stricter. Uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're not as forgiving. Um, so yeah, well, thank you. That, yeah, these are really great you know, nuggets. I, I think, I think they're, it's really great advice. Now I'm very interested to know how you have been evaluating programs, both in terms of their, of their quality and where they're located. So I am applying pretty broadly when I've been looking at programs compared to some of my classmates. Um, so for me, I don't have geographic ties to a specific location that are very strong for me. So like I said, some of my classmates very much want to stay in Michigan close to their families. Some of my classmates have a spouse that needs to stay in a certain city for their job, and I don't have any of those ties. So it's a, I'm pretty fortunate in that I'm looking at essentially any program in the country. But that's also a lot. That's a lot of programs. And I know for me, something that else is important is that I want to live um, in a city. I am, um, I appreciate the beauty of nature, but I know that living in a rural area isn't my particular favorite. 
of course, that is complicated because cities also have an increased cost of living. Um, and some of them have a very increased cost of living. So in terms of evaluating programs, I got very overwhelmed. So I made a spreadsheet um, of all the programs that I thought I might be interested in. And I have them you know, alphabetized and I have the residency name. I have the location and then I have several other columns. So I have the salary that they pay their residents, how much vacation time they get them. If is parking free or do they charge their residents to park on site? Do they give them a meal allowance? So some programs compensate you for food, give you a couple hundred dollars a month that you can use at your hospital cafeteria and some don't. And that adds up, that adds up a lot. And some programs give a moving stipend. So if you're moving across the country, they may give you, um, you know, $10,000 to help with moving expenses. Other programs don't. Um, so those are all kind of things that I put in my columns from evaluating things from a financial perspective. As for me and evaluating quality of the programs, that was something that I also didn't have a lot of framework for. So I talked to some of my mentors and some of the people at my school just to find out kind of what programs were highly regarded and what programs um, they thought they would recommend for training. And it was also recognizing what I was trying to get out of a program. So I know that I definitely want to go on to fellowship. So I looked at programs that were producing residents that were going on to fellowship and being successful in that application process because I'll have to apply again to fellowship. And so I was looking, are, are they graduating student, are they graduating residents that are matching to fellowship? Are they graduating residents that are matching to fellowship in the areas that I'm interested in? And I also want to do research. So I'm looking at, do they talk about matching residents with research mentors? Are they giving protected time for their residents to do research? Do they look like they take care of their residents, you know, in terms of usually most programs will have like a wellness tab on their website. And what are all they what what do they do to take care of their residents? Do they offer, you know, Ubers back home if you're too tired? Do they give half days off for doctor's appointments? Those kinds of little things that all add up. Um, and internal medicine is there's there's very, very, very many great programs that train physicians in internal medicine. It's there's more internal medicine programs than anything else, um, except maybe family medicine. But I think there's something like 400 internal medicine residencies in the country. So I'm fortunate in that there's so many that are wonderful and that uh, would all train me to be excellent physicians. But I'm really looking for a program that will train me both as a great clinician and also as a great researcher. And so I'm looking for a program that really strikes the balance um, and enriching, you know, both the art and the science of medicine. So also looking at if they offer electives and like medical humanities or things like that. But from the financial perspective, I am definitely evaluating those salaries, um, whether or not what their benefits package looks like. Some programs cover all of your insurance, some don't. And kind of comparing that against the cities that they're in. So obviously a program that is going to pay their interns $60,000 a year, um, that is a lot different in San Francisco than it might be in somewhere like Michigan, because I am applying to programs in Michigan. And uh, just from personal experience, I'm from the Los Angeles area. I know that my the money that I spend on rent here is probably would probably go one fourth of the distance in Los Angeles. So those are all things that I'm looking at, especially because part of my salary will have to go towards my loan repayments as well. So, you know, it's 60K salary for interns, but they're going to take 10% of my income to do loan repayments. Um, so things like the free parking, a couple hundred dollars of um, compensated meals at the hospital cafeteria, a moving stipend, those are all things that add up for me pretty significantly. And those were things that um, residents advised me to look at as well. Mm. Wow, that that is a lot of things to 
compare. I love the fact that you decided to put this into a spreadsheet because like the, just the visual that probably helped a little bit, right? Yes. Oh, most definitely. I think it's when you're looking at so many programs and so many factors, it gets overwhelming. And I wanted a way to keep track of things. And um, it's been, you know, I can color code, I can organize, I can move things around. And even when I enter interview season to keep it um, tabs on which interviews are scheduled when for what programs. I'm a big I'm a big Excel spreadsheet fangirl, though. That's how I do my budgets. That's how I do. I love Excel. So um, that was very natural for me to use. But that's also I think if you look if you you know google on the internet like how do how do students manage residency applications many 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 medical students use spreadsheets in order to help them manage interview season or to help compare programs not everybody does it like this where they do it before they even select their programs sometimes they only do it for programs that they interviewed at to kind of keep it more manageable but I had some free time last Christmas break and I just was looking to help myself narrow down programs I even wanted to apply to. So very cool. Well, this is a yeah, yeah, great great thoughts. Now, I know that like like you and I have spoken a bit in the past about transparency. Transparency of residency programs, is that something that is of concern to you even if the pandemic is not upon us or did that accentuate it that the COVID-19 pandemic definitely made it worse but that is something that is a concern every year um so something that comparatively to med school when you apply to residency it's very hard to get information about what the step exam score range is what their minimum cutoff is technically that information is listed in a program um, called uh, Residency Explorer has one, and then I believe Frida is another program. However, that being said, I have definitely logged on many, many times to see that that information on the cutoff minimum conflicts with the residency's website or that their average step score is what they say their cutoff minimum is. It just, it it seems not always correct on those websites. I think a lot of other information that those websites provide is very, very accurate, but specifically, with regards to cutoffs for minimum step scores, average step scores, data on how much research or volunteering their residents have done, it is very, very hard to get that information and make sure that it's accurate. Programs are also self-reporting to those websites and there's not really any external check on them. So when I was applying to medical school, there is a pro, there's something that you can pay, it's like $80 and it will tell you exactly what the ranges are. Like it'll do a, uh, box and whisker plot of MCAT scores. So you kind of have a good idea if you're by the 50th or the 25th, or if you're out of the range. And like I said, residency score has been helpful to me and it's a new program within the last two years that gives you a rough idea, but those minimum cutoffs would be very, very helpful. And internal medicine is a little bit different because it's not the most competitive uh, application process out of residency applications compared to something like ortho or derm, where they're much more likely to use strict minimum cutoffs. And it's also really confusing because if you talk to a lot of students, they will tell you, I, in fact, I have several friends that applied to programs that they were below the listed minimum cutoff on the website, and then they still got an interview at that program. So it's really hard for us to determine what makes someone a competitive applicant in a program. And programs don't really say, they say that they do holistic review, which totally appreciate that. And I hope that that is true at all programs, but a lot of programs still internally use filters for uh, geographic location. They filter out people that aren't in their areas. They filter out people without a certain minimum step score. 
they filter out people without so many research experiences mm-hmm. on their application. And that's kind of a concern every year. And that's part of why there's kind of what they call application fever, where students apply to more and more programs each year, because we it is very hard for us to gauge where we are competitive. And yes, on a, on a massive scale, on a massive scale, I have an idea of what is the very top and what's the very bottom. And I know I'm not at the very bottom and I'm not the, you know, the number one applicant in this country. But it's very hard for me among a mix of good programs to determine where I fit in the picture of good and great programs. Like, where am I exactly? And even at individual programs, you know, is it going to be an issue for you that I have this score? Is it going to be an issue for you that I only have, you know, three research experiences and not four? So it would be very, very helpful for us if programs would come forward and say, this is our minimum cutoff and and mean that like this is our true like minimum cutoff. A really competitive applicant will have this score. And we are looking for applicants to have a, a well-rounded background or we're really interested in applicants that have quite a bit of research background. And that doesn't mean that you're not potentially, if you're a very strong applicant, that you're not going to think, okay, well, I have a really strong application and hopefully they'll overlook that I don't have quite as many research experiences as they want. But it would really help me tailor my application if I knew exactly what they were going to be looking for and screening for on applications. So when they talk about students need to reduce the number of applications that they're sending out to enable holistic review, I would love to. I would love to make sure that I was submitting applications to the programs that I felt were most likely to take me and we were the best fit. But it's very hard for me to navigate that because I, I don't know what those screening metrics are at a lot of programs. Yeah, I have a question because you, you mentioned application fever where a lot of students are applying for more and more programs. On the other side of it, I've spoken with a few application interviewers like at these programs and they too are overwhelmed by the expected like the huge number of applications that they're going to have to review so it doesn't feel like anybody's winning here why is this happening so no i don't think anyone feels like they're winning because i do think that programs definitely actually do want to give us holistic review but they're simply they're flooded with thousands of applications and you do have to sort at some point and for students um we become afraid and we think i i have to make sure that i match because it becomes harder as a reapplicant in the match you have a year where you're not training as a physician that is one of our great fears is that we don't match and so for us we look at it and we think well if i apply to another 15 programs that's a that's you know a couple hundred extra dollars maybe a thousand dollars that is worth it to me versus the risk of not matching so i'm just going to apply to more programs and there's not a penalty or a cap on applying to programs besides a financial one right so there's not really a strict limit at all on how many programs i apply to and in normal years there's kind of a self-inflicted limit by the fact that you can only travel to so many programs Physically, you can only take so many plane flights to see so many programs. But with Zoom interviews, that barrier is removed, and they think that we most of us expect that the very top applicants will take up an even greater proportion of interviews than they normally do. But I believe it's I believe the statistic is for internal medicine. It is something like the top twelve percent of applicants to internal medicine in a regular year take fifty percent of the available interview slots. So you have a bottleneck where the very top applicants are getting a much greater lion's share of the interviews. And so that leads students that are, if you're in the 13th, if you know you're an applicant that's in the top 13% or the top 14%, and you know that you're right there on that line, but you're not sure what do you do to make yourself feel better, you apply to more programs and so on and so forth. And especially if you're an applicant that knows you're not very competitive, you're going to apply to 
just tons. I have program. I have friends that are applying to very, very competitive specialties like German Ortho, and they're planning to submit applications to every program in the country because they want to match desperately in that field. And that's what they feel like is necessary for them to do in order to ensure that they match. And so that is kind of what's driving. There's no, there's no penalty on applying to more programs and students or students feel that that is one of the few things that they have at their disposal to increase their chances of matching. And it's kind of the tragedy of the commons because the more that we all do that, the harder it makes for us to match because that makes the screening criteria stricter and it funnels more and more interviews in all likelihood to those top applicants that make it past those screening. But in an individual perspective, when you're looking at what is best for me, if all your friends are submitting to 60 programs, you feel silly and and disadvantaging yourself if you only apply to 40. So then you also apply to 60. And so the number keeps on ballooning and ballooning. And it is a financial benefit to the programs that run the match. So um, ERAS makes money off of all these application fees. So it is also, of course, in their financial interest for us to apply to more and more programs. There's actually um, a physician whose name is Brian Carmody. I think I'm saying that correctly, but he runs a blog and he writes a lot about these topics and it's um, called uh, The Sheriff of Sodium, I believe. And he has an excellent blog post series looking into exactly how much money these um, these agencies make off of the match. And again, I don't think it's just that because we're also self-driving it with our fear of not matching, but um, it's a little bit of a difficult situation where where no one's winning except um, the agencies that are benefiting from the increased financial aspect of all of us applying to more and more programs every year. I, I'm curious, like a lot of this could be mitigated if those who are in positions of responsibility at these programs, if they would simply be more open, like the, you know, the foundation of this section of our discussion, if they would just be more transparent about what their expectations are so that people like you could look at those numbers and say, yes, that's reasonable for me. No, that's not going to fit for me. Right? Yes. Yep. And that is something that I have seen a few programs do, uh, particularly in ortho. Interestingly enough, there are a couple programs on Twitter that got on Twitter and they said, you know, so we can help this year. We are going to be very blunt. This is our average step score. And that I was so even though I'm not applying to ortho, I was so happy to see that because that type of transparency helps so much. And it is you can you can as a student assess your application. You know, if you maybe have one weak point, but the rest of your application is really strong then it's still maybe worth applying. But that type of very transparent information is so helpful for us in narrowing down which programs we're most likely to have a successful application at. And so um, that I would, if programs would come forward with just super, super transparent information, I would feel much better. And I would probably cut, I could cut my list, I think probably at least by 25% if I felt that there was more clarity in, in what, I knew about average step scores, minimum cutoffs, at least at least 25%. Wow, wow. Well, yeah, I, uh, I hope that, I hope that uh, you and, and others, uh, yeah, and I've, I've read uh, Dr. Kermode's uh, blog and uh, interacted with him to some extent. So more and more of that hopefully will get the attention of people that make decisions because that would just make things better for everybody. Yes. <laughs> I think program directors would also be very appreciative of a reduced number of applications to look through. Yeah. Hmm. Well, now, with it being a very, very unique year with the COVID-19 pandemic and you are not spending money 
with airfare and so forth. How are you doing your interviews? We are doing them all over Zoom. And I have not had, we do not submit our applications for about another month. So um, the details of that, I don't know exactly how each program will run theirs, but we are doing a fully Zoom interview season. So not traveling to any programs in person. And that's about all I know. Um, our school is giving us a session on how to do virtual interviews. And that is next week, I believe. Um, but yes, that is, we are doing them all over Zoom. And how are you personally preparing? So in addition to the session that my school is doing, I have reached out to several people through Twitter that have very graciously agreed to do practice interviews with me because for me, the primary concern um, on my end of the Zoom interview is that I am confident in my ability to translate well in person. I think I'm very personable and warm, but I am uncertain about my ability to translate on Zoom interview because I've never done it before. So I have set that up so that I can be aware of things like eye contact over Zoom, things that come really naturally to me in person that might not come naturally to me on Zoom so that I can make sure that I'm set up as well as possible for this interview season and making a good impression. Mm. I also, I only have one internet provider at my apartment, so I can't really change my internet, although I'm pretty comfortable with uh, the service that I get. Now that I said that, I'm going to have an issue, I'm sure. But... Um, because some of the recommendations we've got is, you know, ensure that you have, up to, you know, fast internet. But I only have one internet provider in my apartment that's available to me. Um, I also live, I live by myself. So I don't have like an office bedroom space that I can convert for Zoom interviews. But I have contemplated where I can set up my laptop to give myself the best, most neutral background. Um, and beyond that, I've also thought about lighting and where I can sit so that the lighting is appropriate. Um, beyond that, there's not a whole lot that I can control in terms of my setting. Um, although I live in a pretty quiet apartment building, which is also fortunate, especially because with COVID being the way things are, we can't actually use our on-campus facilities at all. So, you know, some people have suggested, oh, just go on to campus and use the study rooms, but we're actually barred from using um, on-campus facilities right now due to COVID concerns. So that's part of it. And then the other the other thing that I have been concerned about is I really strongly believe in gut feeling when evaluating programs. That's how I picked my med school, how I picked my undergrad. So I've been worried about getting a feel for the city getting a feel for the program, getting a feel for the people in the program. So I have been looking for programs that have been very active on social media and sharing as much as they can over social media about this is what a day in the life looks like. These are our facilities. These are places that we like to order takeout from and trying to really get a sense for what those programs feel like as much as I can over social media. So I really appreciate all those programs that are very active on their social media right now. And I figure as we move through interview season, I'm hoping that more programs join that trend of trying to make themselves available and engage with applicants um, on social media in that way. There's also some Zoom open houses that have been scheduled, um, which are helpful, although sometimes I'm in clinics, so I can't go to all of them. But um, I appreciate when programs have been having these Zoom informational sessions, although they haven't always recorded them, which would, again, be really helpful if they recorded those sessions and uploaded them on their website so that those of us who might be on night shift or in clinic can watch them back at a later time. Hmm. You know, the, the programs that take that step I could see not only would it help you to actually know the facts about living there or at least a little bit learn a little bit more but the fact that they are willing to do that it shows like I don't know it, it makes it feel like 
maybe it would be a more welcome environment in and of itself. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I have actually added programs to my list specifically because of their social media engagement. Um, they, you know, I found, I stumbled on their program on social media and you scroll through it and you look and you really get a feel for their program. And they're actively asking like, what do applicants want to see from us? How can we best connect you to our program? And that tells me that that program is actively thinking about recruiting people to their program that they're interested in. They're asking like, what what can we do? And that is really what I'm looking for in a program is I, I want to grow and be educated in a program and I'm looking for a program that we can mutually support each other. I have things to give to a program and I'm hoping a program is interested in giving things back to me and that kind of mutual support. And so I really appreciate that type of attitude towards how can we recruit students to our program? How do we make sure that they have all the information, that they're thinking about that, that they care about that, that that's something that they're engaged in. And also when a lot of these times these are run by residents, these social media accounts are run by current residents. And so when I log on and I see that, you know, 15 different residents from a program have all said, I love it here. They're saying that on video on the social media account of their own volition. I think that really speaks to a program where the residents are happy um, for the most part, at least, and that they're, they're wanting to promote their program. And I think that also says a lot about the feel of that program and the way that they take care of their residents. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, this has been a lot of really good information. Um, is there is there anything else that you wanted to add? Because I, I think we've summed up the four points, but I, if there's anything you want to add to, you know, to anyone who's applying to med school or those that are your peers or a couple years behind you, uh, you're free, you're free to, to speak. Oh, I think that I came into med school and I just wish that I had, I mean, I think it's going to go fine. I am not, this is not a disaster. I think you can absolutely, you know, focus on getting through med school one day at a time. If you can't think about residency until you get to residency application season, it's okay. Your school is going to help support you. It's fine. But I think that the more that you can think ahead to what type of residency application you're going to be submitting, and that is not specialty specific. You definitely don't have to have your specialty figured out, but just thinking in advance about the residency application and what, what you want to communicate about yourself and what's important to you as a future physician and whether or not the activities that you're doing are supporting that narrative. And also what things are you passionate about? Are you passionate about education? Do you want to, you know, help teach medical students and residents someday? How can you get involved in those aspects? So I think, uh, you know, if you're applying to medical school or you're just starting medical school, the important thing to decide for yourself is as you go through the next couple of years, and this is an active process, you don't have to decide today, but what types of things are important to you and when you leave medical school, what type of things are you looking to build on? What type of skills are you looking to develop? How are you looking to contribute to medicine um, or to the community around you? And you know, that's a process and not, it, it takes its like hills and valleys. And there have been things that I've done that I've, you know, I thought, oh, I'm interested in this. And then I realized it wasn't for me, but I think just making sure that when you leave med school, that you have a clear picture of who you are and what you want to do and what you know that you have to contribute is really important. And that will help you find a program that is a great match for you beyond things like test scores, because programs are also have their own missions and goals for the type of residents they want to train and graduate. So that would be my advice is just focus on getting through school right now, especially this year. It's a hard year. So heart goes out to everyone that is currently in M4 or currently in medical school. It's a tough year. So I feel for all of us and I we're going to get through it, even though it's 
an unfortunate situation and many, many, many levels this year. But that is that is my hope and advice is that they take care of themselves and that they focus on developing themselves personally as a physician and figuring out what they're interested in. And then that will help guide them when they get to residency applications. Thank you for sharing that, Marissa. And I know I know that your time is very valuable. Um, I thank you for carving out some time to speak with me um, in between lots of other things that you're doing. Um, My pleasure. And I look forward to the next time that we talk. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Well, that's Money Meteor. That's the show. Tyler Olson, that's me. Follow me on Twitter at Olson Planner. That's at O-L-S-O-N-P-L-A-N-N-E-R. You can visit my website, OlsonConsultingMI.com. If you want to talk more about any of the points that were mentioned today, you're welcome to get in touch. Once again, the show is Money Mediator every month. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Take care.